Hello, and welcome to episode 58 of the Figure Podcast. This episode, I'm going to be asking Charlotte some questions about her exhibition, which is opening on Saturday, November the 6th. Usually in each episode, we figure out people, numbers and images. Um, But this episode will be slightly different. We're going to have recommendations initially, and then we're going to go into some conversation and questions about the exhibition. Shah's going to tell us kind of the whole story. I'm really excited. Shah, how have you been over the last three months? Obviously, we've spoken and seen each other in that time. (laughs) It's not on here. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Sorry for the very delayed episode we thought that this would make sense because part of the reason that we haven't been able to record although it's not for lack of trying because how many times have we tried to record this maybe four (laughs) five times but anyway here we are finally back and I'm really well and very very excited for the week ahead and for the exhibition to open and for everyone to see it and there's no lockdown so that's great touch wood and the paintings almost all of them have arrived we're recording this just a few days before the exhibition opens I've been going into the gallery and the text panels are finally up and printed I've been working on those that's been really time consuming Um, I've also been working on an audio guide that features five actors who do dramatized readings of letters and memoirs They've done such an amazing job. They're all kind of family friends who've helped me out and my brother. And we've got a film as well as a 12 minute film that will be shown in the exhibition, which is also being wrapped up. So that's exciting. There's kind of just been lots of ongoing projects that are now all coming together and can't wait to see it all in one place. Well, putting this exhibition together, you're literally being a director, a producer, a writer, obviously curating the operational side of tracking down all of the paintings and putting it all together as someone who isn't in the art world or knows much about that at all I feel like I've learned so much through watching you do this of what goes on in putting an exhibition together and all of the sort of fine details and we'll talk about that in a moment but firstly shall we do some recommendations I have two key ones to talk about Okay, you go first. Yes, let's do some recommendations. Well, the first is I've actually been listening to Bad Republican, um, which is Meghan McCain's new memoir. And I listened to it really quickly, actually. It was really interesting. Also, I feel like you're one of Meghan McCain's number one fans. (laughs) So rogue. So rogue. (laughs) No one expects that. And... So many things I don't necessarily align with her politically on. Um, but then there are several things that I do. Um, one of which, she's, she talks about having her daughter and kind of the reality of having a baby and all of the things that you're not really told about or spoken about. And in America, I hadn't realised how bad maternal and parental leave was. In some jobs, there's none. There's literally none. You just, you have to take time off and you miss your salary when having a baby. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and even her, she, she's, you know, was a co-host on The View, which is this very, very famous talk show. She would have had a very high salary and it's, you know, it's, it's a fam- very famous political talk show. And I think she had three months. And to someone in the UK, 
that seems like a very short amount of time. I think here it's normally between nine months to a year, which is the sort of norm, or six months to a year, that kind of time frame. So anyway, I found that really interesting. And she's just talking about how her views on that had changed and about the sort of real need to have women in decision-making roles, not because a man's view is any less valuable, but if you've not lived that experience of having a child, having a family, you, you can't be as emotionally invested in the same way in order to create policy that shapes that. And anyway, all these are all things I quite nerdly listen to in my free time. So <laughs> yeah, um, that <laughs> obviously loads of baby name podcasts along the way. <laughs> and also one podcast that has been really just makes my week is my therapist ghosted me which is joanne mcnally amazing i need to listen to this i saw her at the fringe so good so good it was the one thing that i managed to see i mean the fringe is on for three weeks but i just wasn't in edinburgh and i was busy and away and doing things and i came back to edinburgh on the last night of the fringe and I went to Dishoom with my brother. We had an amazing meal that we managed to get in. It was really late, which is kind of why we managed to do that. Anyway, and then we we just, like, he had some friends who had spare tickets to see Joanne McNally. And she was absolutely brilliant. We mm-hmm. sat in the front row, which is always a bit of a dangerous place to be. Um, and luckily, it was one of George's friends, an Irish doctor, who got picked on, which he really wanted to happen. It was great. She's fantastic. And I remember her mentioning that and thinking that it sounded... I just love the title, My Therapist Ghosted Me. (laughs) The first episode, she talks about it, how her therapist ghosted her. And it's just great. Um, Such a good podcast. And um, yeah, I would say those... I mean, I feel feel at the moment there's been few, like less... I don't know about you, Sharp, other than the James Bond movie, I've not really been watching anything. I don't really... It was just so good. That it was really funny in places as well. Like the script just felt really tight and just great story, fantastic characters, yeah. really like strong women, which I loved a lot. Amazing spike fight scenes. The whole thing was just fantastic. Yeah. And yeah. Related to that, the Graham Norton episode of lots of people in the cast and he interviews them it's really really great episode there's been some really good Graham Norton recently I've got into a bit of a obsession (laughs) I love that man I love that man comedy (laughs) is just so important for everything because you just kind of need the light-heartedness and even if it's a contentious topic or a really light-hearted topic you can always you know just dispel a lot with humor the other thing that i have been watching though and this feels like it was also a long time ago but it's because we haven't recorded in such a long time uh sex education have you finished it yes i haven't finished it i'm sorry you haven't finished it no okay that's really hard i've been not i've not been i've not been committed i'm gonna i'm gonna watch more of it tonight I'm really busy as well you've had so much yeah and you finished your course i did yes yes so good so it's all it's all good, but now I can have more time to watch. It was a big season. There's a lot of reaction to. I it. loved it. I thought it was absolutely amazing. Not my favourite season, I don't think, but I thought that the pairings and the kind of parent-child relationships that they looked at and some of the taboos they they went into was really valuable. Mm, absolutely. Even um, episode four in. So I've yeah, I think that's so true. It's so interesting having the mum be pregnant 
as well and all of that. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting way that they have pulled that into the narrative. And it's better because there's so much that you can explore around that and the whole, especially the misogyny towards older pregnant women. I think that was really important to highlight and put on a screen. And I think it's a much better way of doing that whole pregnancy thing than having like one of the kids be pregnant. Yeah, it's really clever. So much of it is like I watch each episode and I just think, oh, script editor or script writer. So that was just on point and they're just touching on so many different things. Um, I'd love to see the process of writing that. Like that would be really cool. Yeah. So, I think because it's the third season, they just, there's the familiarity between these characters and these actors and they're just mm-hmm. more and more confident and they get to be bigger and bolder and better, especially Eric, like Chuti Gatwa outdoes himself in this oh my god do I love that man I know <laughs> I love his voice I keep saying to Arthur every episode like you love his accent I just want him to I don't know what it is there's something about his voice that's just so yeah, in Scotland I know but his accent isn't Scottish it's like it's a very specific miss <laughs> I, I don't know it's very I, yeah love love listening to uh Shuti Gower's voice niche niche like that um <laughs> have you got any more recommendations no <laughs> uh, i have one more which is uh i am i am i am which is maggie o'farrell's memoir and it is the subtitle is 17 brushes with death and basically every chapter is a near-death experience and lots of them relate to this condition that she has which she was diagnosed with when she was a child which affects her like mobility and sort of perception like her proprioception so she can't always tell she can't judge distances in the same way as other people sometimes and it's just fascinating like the whole thing is just it's such an easy easy and quick and beautiful book to read it's stunning in the way that it's written as always with Maggie O'Farrell uh, but I'm a big fan it was really life-affirming book that's wonderful thanks Char those are some great recommendations I thought that was a good mix of um yeah, the random, the eclectic, the niche, as always. <laughs> but now we are approaching the exhibition opening. My first question about it is, how long has this process been up until this opening? When did this idea first formulate for you? So I first had the meeting at the gallery had to talk about the possibility of an exhibition four years ago. Four years ago, okay. Yeah, but it kind of goes back further than that because when I was in my second year of university, I did history of art and English. One of the modules was to design and create your own gallery. And the the brief was more to just plan out what you would do and do some research and look at a number of different artists or one artist. So you, it was very flexible. And one of the options was to do an online gallery And so I chose to do that. And then I actually built the gallery because I didn't want to do all the planning work and then have nothing for people to see after that. And so I committed to that and it just became this huge thing. I spent so much time on it and it was fascinating and I loved it. And I really enjoyed finding out about my family because I chose to do it on the art of my family. Um, I've got quite a few different creative people on my dad's side. And Mm. John Henry Lorimer was one of them. And it's been so valuable to have done that and it's something that I would say if you've just come out of school or if you've just come out of university and you're thinking like how can I differentiate myself in terms of jobs and applying for internships or apprenticeships and I think that just doing something that you don't have to do 
and just going for it and just having a project and really putting everything into it is such a valuable thing to do because you'll learn so much and then it's something that you can talk about with people and just especially if it's something you're passionate about it's such a great thing to do and if I hadn't done that I definitely wouldn't be sitting here a week away from an in-person huge exhibition with 50 paintings objects watercolors pieces of furniture that are in the paintings which is really exciting um and I can talk about that more later Mm. yeah so it kind of it started really from that and it was through that that I was then invited to be the co-curator of this exhibition so the other curator is called David Patterson and he's handled a lot of the logistical side of getting the paintings from all over the UK and from Paris to Edinburgh And he's been a curator for a long time and has a wealth of experience. So I've been able to learn a lot from him. And what I really appreciate is that he's given me a lot of autonomy. And Mm -hmm. so I've been able to do the creative and kind of investigative side where I was finding all the paintings. And because he's also curating exhibitions all the time and I haven't, I've just had this one to focus on. So I've been able to do a lot of the preparatory work and get things rolling kind of sooner than you otherwise would, which was helpful. But I mean, I wrote those letters to the gallery asking to borrow paintings or to private owners in, I think, two years ago. Gosh. It's a really long process. I imagine that's how directors feel about a movie that's made. Because from the actor's point of view, you have, you know, a three-month shoot maybe, and then a year later it comes out. But a director and the producers and all of that's... I know that Black Swan, for example, I've just literally plucked this out of my, my head, but Black Swan was like 10 years in the making of gathering all the information together and researching and writing. And it's a really long process. And I, I find so with your partnership with David, the co-creator, that's one of my next questions is about sort of the creative versus the operational when putting together an exhibition like this. I suppose given his expertise with curation the operational side was spearheaded by him with the creative process um as you touched on a lot of the experience of the exhibition you'll see the objects there then you'll see the painting and then you'll see you know hear hear the voices see the, the film how did that begin when how did you dream up that concept and it's very much in the title of the exhibition which is reflections so it came from a number of different places and it hasn't especially for the audio guide the audio guide has only come together in the last couple of months and I didn't even have the idea or concept of how it would go actually until I listened to Pandora Sykes series on Britney Spears because the way that she had that arc of the narrative and she read and led us through and then it chopped in and out of these dramatizations and this other podcast clip and then came back and forth and Mm. I absolutely love the way that she brought in different voices and so I've tried to replicate that that was really the inspiration of how I've done the audio guide in that I read extended versions of the texts that will be on display so people don't have to read they can literally just listen and kind of look at the paintings Mm. we've also had a poet called Christine DeLuca write 12 poems inspired by the paintings which she read and so those are in the audio guide as well and then we've got these dramatizations so I didn't want it to be like an hour of just my voice especially because I've got such an English accent and he was a Scottish artist and I felt it needed to have more voices in there so I'm really pleased with how that has turned out in terms of the structure of the exhibition and how the concept of it came about I thought that up 
in 2017, I think, because on that first meeting, I went in sort of almost pitching myself as the co-curator and not knowing whether I would be given that kind of responsibility and opportunity. And so I really came up with what I thought could work and what, how it would happen. I think in that first meeting, it was either the first or second meeting. So it's a really long time ago. And I just wanted it to be rather than a chronological thing where it's sort of, this is, was his first one. And then we kind of go to the end of his life. I, there are five themes which are light identity, family, femininity, and home. And it's like a pyramid structure in that all of his paintings to some extent are about light. And then there is some of his identity that comes into a selection of those. And then there are his family members that are a huge, important part. And he did lots of portraits and then they modeled for lots of paintings, women and their lives and difficulties and triumphs and joys and all of the emotional range of that experience of being a woman at the time, which was Edwardian kind of turn of the century late 1800s, early 1900s, he does such an extraordinary job of exploring those and representing them. So that's femininity. And then home, you've got all of those themes all in together. And it's that sense of comfort and warmth. And this just the final room is I'm so excited to step into the final room when it's completely finished and see all of the paintings, some of which I've only ever seen photographs of. So I haven't even seen these paintings myself, like standing in front of them. I'm so familiar with them. I've seen photographs of them and know so much about all these different paintings. And I can't wait to see all of them all in one room. It's going to be really special, I hope, and really lift people's spirits in the miserable, rainy winter. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I, if it were me, I feel like I'd go into the gallery and just kind of, I don't know, lie on the floor and (laughs) get really excited that that this is what I dreamt up. And it's real life. That must be an amazing feeling. It's a sort of a meta way of creating art because you, you're creating an experience for people to come and, and look at all of these paintings and learn about John Henry Loram. And I think, I mean, we just don't do enough of it at school. Art history should be a compulsory subject, as far as I'm concerned, alongside history, because art and music, you can learn so much about the world and the culture by looking at these pieces of, of art, essentially. And I, and I extend the same for, for music as well. And I think in terms of the historical kind of aspect of John Henry Lorimer, why was it that he wasn't recognised at the time for, for his work in, in the way that he should have been? And I, and I know that that's one of the reasons that you decided to choose him as your sort of, fam, of the family member in which to base this exhibition. Yeah, so right at the beginning, there was a conversation over whether we should have a kind of Lorimer family exhibition because um, John Henry's brother was called Robert and he was my great-grandfather. He was a very famous architect. And then Robert's son was Hugh Lorimer and he was um, a renowned sculptor. And there are also lots of creative women, none of which were able to make that into a profession. Uh, Hannah, who was John Henry's sister, was the closest on that but even so she didn't have the recognition or kind of profession that her brothers had and I just felt that actually John Henry has there's never been an exhibition dedicated to his work not during his lifetime not since he died which was 1936 and I felt it was really important for that to be the focus and the family inevitably come into it so we have a piece that is by Robert and we have a beautiful orchid sketch by Hannah which is normally kept in Kew Gardens so we've got 
elements of other family artwork in there and we've also got these objects I'm going to talk about that quickly before we forget because I keep on touching on it and then not fully explaining and that was inspired by a Matisse exhibition I went to at the Royal Academy a couple of years ago where they had the chair and then they had the sketch of the chair and I just loved that experience of seeing the object and the representation of it in the same place and we're lucky enough that just through family connections and and knowing the work very intimately that I can recognize and know that there are certain objects that exist that are in the paintings or connected to the paintings. So for example, the flight of the swallows, which is the kind of key painting, which is the one that's at the city art center, which is where the exhibition will be, has two mirrors that he often included. And so we'll have the mirror and the painting next to each other. And then we've also got in Grandmother's Birthday, which is the painting coming from Paris, there is a chair that was designed by Robert Lorimer. So that will be there. And there is also a copy of a painting which we couldn't get because it's in Australia and that would cost an absolute fortune to bring over. So we've got a copy of that because it's a really important painting. It was the first that he ever sent to the Paris Salon. And you had to present your painting sort of to a committee and then they decided whether it was hung or not. And this was hung, not only was it hung, it then won a gold medal. And it's Mm. of Joanna Herbert, who was the nanny uh, for his nieces and nephews. And there is a rattle that is in that painting, which is just on the floor. And that happens to be the rattle that my grandfather used, which we've had in my family. So that's great. And then the final kind of, actually, we've got two more. So there's a portrait of his father, of John Henry's father, who's called Professor James Lorimer. He's sitting on what's called a Glastonbury chair. And we have that chair as well. That's at Kelly Castle, which is a very important place for John Henry and the family. It was where they had their summers and they restored it. And that had a huge impact on a lot of the Mm. children in particular. And Kelly Castle is a castle in Fife. And tell tell me a bit more about Kelly, because they were the ones that bought it and restored it. Is that is that right? They didn't buy it, they rented it. They rented it. So the story goes that Professor James Lorimer and his six children and his wife, who's called Hannah, uh, were spending the summer in Fife, mainly because Professor James had asthma. And so he needed to have kind of sea air, it needed to be away from Edinburgh, away from the city. And they were on a walk and they stumbled upon this castle, which was crumbling and almost falling down and was just full of birds and just really fell in love with it and found it a completely magical place, which it is, and then inquired about leasing it the following year and took on this project, which was a really hugely, lots of people would find it a completely mad thing to do. Um, and and they, they did it and they, they got local builders and craftsmen and um, the family themselves were involved in kind of making tapestries and chairs and doing paintings and planning the garden and that is now a national trust property and Mm -hmm. it probably wouldn't exist it would probably be a ruin had they not intervened and saved it Mm. I love that element of his work that you can obviously Kelly you see Kelly in so many of his paintings Mm. um, and all of these family scenes and I mean it's a castle but it feels like a house it feels very kind of warm and is there was there any way that you would be able to have an exhibition like that at Kelly? I know that a lot of the video is filmed. Is the video all filmed at Kelly? Yeah, the film is all filmed at Kelly, and that's why we've done that. I think having an exhibition at Kelly, it's 
a huge part of John Henry's life and work, but it is just the, it's wider than that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that actually having something which is separate, but brings in Kelly is better in terms of showcasing his work. And, and it's also lovely to see all of these paintings that lots of which are usually at Kelly on different walls and they've got lots of space around them and it's all lit because obviously the lighting is more difficult in an old building so the film is really exciting I found the script for the film that I've kind of edited in the library in the National Library of Scotland and it was probably written about 50 years ago and I doubt very many people have ever read it what is and the script of, sorry? Like, how do you mean you found so it? So when Kelly passed to the National Trust in 1970, um, Esther Chalmers, who was the artist's niece, wrote this script about the family and Kelly and telling some of the stories of the paintings. And she wanted there to be this film for people to watch so that they would understand its heritage and the role of the family and who they were and, and who lived there. And it's called The Spirits of Kelly. And as far as I know, this was never made into a film. So it's just like sat there as a script for 50 years. And then... This is brought back to life that's been 50 years and hasn't been seen. Yeah. And so my godmother, Sarah Haynes, has done the voiceover, which she did absolutely beautifully. And uh, a friend, Beetle Campbell, is doing the film. And it's just so exciting to see it all come together. And we went on our filming day. It was quite spooky it was really it felt very tingly that we were making this happen um and just being there and kind of going into the rooms and filming them and and having the script and we did the script in the room where most of John Henry's paintings are on display and it was sort of almost sunset the light was coming through the windows it really felt incredible I'll Mm. never forget that day it was really amazing so I'm really excited for people to see that as well and that will have longevity because that will go beyond when the exhibition closes which is on the 20th of March in 2022. Wonderful now my next question is how do you fund an exhibition Shah how does that work and how much have you learned from this experience of, of how to do that? So much. I did not think that I was going to be taking on the role of fundraiser when I said yes to this. That's what I mean. You're you're a multi-hyphen, you're a yeah, producer, artist, creation, director, manager, and also a fundraiser. Yeah. So I well, our team, but it's been a lot of the applications that I've done and uh kind of events and crowdfunding, we've raised around twenty thousand pounds um from a number of different sources. The remainder has come from the City Arts Centre. And it's just, I mean, it's it's interesting to know kind of what the money goes on. Conservation is can be quite expensive and different galleries have different specifications of what they need and how much the cost of it, even to check it has a cost. And then there's different types of glass. There's all sorts of really niche things that I wouldn't really think about until you're actually in it and you go, ah, oh, this is why you need all of this money and then transport is the main cost because it costs a lot to have the a specialist art company package everything travel move it around it hasn't been helped by the whole truck driver fuel covid brexit situation has also made things a bit more complicated and expensive but there we are and and in terms of fundraising I mean I just got creative in terms of crowdfunding we did a virtual tour together which was a great fundraiser and people paid for tickets to come to that 
and and family and friends have been incredibly generous and supported this project which mm. I'm so grateful for and then trusts and foundations have also been very generous but it's one of those things where similar to a job application you can put in so much time and so much effort and it's very just labor intensive and if it pays off it's 100% worth it and if it doesn't you just have to be like oh okay next next yeah. next so resilient so resilient for those fund fundraising applications yeah really hard but it's just about trying every opportunity that you can and I tried to tie in the painting if I was applying to a corporate sponsor of which we only have one which is Charles Stanley um which is a private equity company they are sponsoring the film uh it has been just trying to just find the right point of contact try and find a connection to the artist or someone that he painted a portrait of or something so that it relates because otherwise what's in it for them so it's been a real learning curve and it's just test of being persistent I think absolutely but again it's one of those things I think you wouldn't know where to start or how because I think whenever I go to an exhibition you see all the sponsors there but you don't realize just how crucial that funding is and I'd extend the same to you know even charitable organizations um it's so important that those fun- those trusts and foundations exist. And I don't think that we kind of publicly acknowledge the arts enough. And then again, I think people say that a lot, but not actually understanding, you know, if we, given this lot, you know, even during lockdown, if we didn't have, you know, art and music and entertainment, we would have had none of the sort of things that we enjoyed um, throughout the last year and a half. And yeah. It's not, it's One not of the things actually that I've, I've I've read and I absolutely loved, huge recommendation. Everybody go and buy this book. It's brilliant. Taste by Stanley Tucci, which is yeah. his life through food. And it's got recipes. And one of the stories that he tells is when he was a young actor in New York, really struggling, couldn't pay his rent. And he went to this fund for young actors and was able to get some money, which sort of tied him over to the next month. And... I will, we can link the name of this organisation, but if theatre and acting and film matters to you a lot and you do have that kind of disposable income, I would really recommend making a donation to that because it's those kind of funds that are helping the individuals that actually end up, that can be the difference between somebody carrying on acting and not. And you never know what could happen from that person being able to have that career and and continue. Definitely. Yeah. And what is your favourite story or painting I guess those maybe are two separate ones but would you if you were to sort of say what was your favorite what would you so my favorite painting which I will be seeing tomorrow I hope and I'm so excited is called Hush and part of it is just the composition of it it's a a woman leaning over her baby and soothing the baby to sleep and it's got an open window. There are birds on the window. It's just beautiful light. It just shows how accomplished he was as a painter. I love the subject matter. But it also, for me, has a very personal connection because it was modelled by my great-grandmother. And the baby is my grandfather. And yeah, Wonderful. So, that real connection to you. Like that's- yeah, yeah, exactly. And linking back to the object side of the exhibition, we will have um, not only the rattle that he used, but the cot that was designed for him by Robert. 
And then the letter that was written by Robert three days after his birth on the 25th of December. So on Christmas Day, Robert wrote to his best friend talking about the birth of his first son. And it is a hilarious letter. He talks about how um, it's an awful couple of hours for a husband. <laughs> and he's, it's very endearing, but it is just really funny to read. And it's in the audio guide as well. My brother read it um, very well. And, and I just love having that combination of we've got the painting, we've got the letter, we've got the the cradle. And, and hopefully that will be really special for people to see how that all weaves together. That's my favourite painting. My favourite story. I think one of my favourite, it's quite hard to just choose one, but one of my favourite stories is to do with one of the portraits that we have, uh, which is of Dame Sarah Elizabeth Siddons Mare. It's quite a mouthful. She's known as Sally Mare. And she was a suffragist and feminist campaigner and women's education was hugely important to her. And she set up St. George's School in Edinburgh. She set up the Ladies Debating Society, which she was a president of from the age of 19 until the age of 90. And through that society, more founders of more schools came through. And so her influence is enormous and it was really important for me to look at that side I think because I kept on thinking am I just making this up that he's really understands the kind of experience of women he wants to look at that and highlight it and then when I saw that he'd been commissioned to do that portrait I thought oh that's such an interesting connection and that would sort of highlight that element of his work and and explore the suffragist aspect of life that was going on it was you know a huge talking point and it was part of his his father's work as well. He talked about the votes for women, not hugely, but it was something that he very much believed in. So I, I read about this portrait. I knew that it existed. I had no photograph of it. I had no idea where it was. I didn't think that Sarah Mayer had any children. So I was like, I don't know if it'll even be in the family. But I basically did a kind of shot in the dark, which was to email the reception of St. George's School because they, I'd, I'd seen that there was a plaque that was dedicated to her. And so I thought, well, that's my only kind of clue. I'll, get, I'll start there. And I explained what I was doing, explained what I was looking for. And the receptionist ha- just happened to be an ex-pupil of the school. And as soon as she saw the name of it, she then found a brochure around Sally Mare. And then at the back of this brochure, there was a black and white photograph of the portrait. And she recognised the portrait because it's in the school. And so all of that time, it was just this magical thing where something that could have been impossible suddenly became incredibly easy because I had just happened to email the exact receptionist who had been that ex-pupil and who recognised it and who was happy to help me. And it's things like that where you just think, I couldn't have engineered that. That just sort of was meant to be. So that's a really special painting to be there. I'm really... I'm really pleased that it's in the exhibition and hopefully that people can learn about her life and her importance. Such a lovely story. And gosh, it's so funny when things work out that way. Mm. Um, When people go and see it, what's one thing that you would like them to hold in mind when they walk in? Good question. I would really like people to download the audio guide which you can do through Spotify or through Apple Podcasts. There will be a little booklet, which you can buy for a pound. And then there's a QR code on the back of that, uh, which you will will go straight through to the audio guide. Or you can just type it in. If you type in Reflections, John Henry Lorimer, that should come up. And I hope that that will work and kind of guide you through the exhibition. 
in terms of what to bear in mind, I just, I would really like people to be really present and just not be taking lots of photographs or that you can if you want to, but sort of not looking at those paintings through your phone and to be looking at them with your eyes and just stand and just take your time and just, or just feel what you want to feel. Like, I think that it'll be really interesting to see people's reactions and which paintings stand out to each individual person. Absolutely. Be mindful. I think that's yeah. a really good, a really good thing to aim to do, especially now that we're always connected on phones and things. And going to an exhibition is is a nice way to have a moment where you're not connected to a world all of the time. But I'm so proud of you. I literally cannot believe that it is happening next week. I cannot wait to come and see it myself soon. Hopefully, yeah. I'm so proud of you, Shar. And thank you so much for talking us through some of the sort of main points in, in your creative process in putting it together I hope everyone goes and sees it good questions please let us know if you go yes Any bigger listeners tag us send it to us contact us there are many ways in which to do that Instagram email comments on the podcast episode let us know what you enjoyed we'd, we'd love to hear from you yeah we would that would be wonderful. And we will be back next month and we will be more consistent. It will be a normal episode next. Christmassy, but normal. Christmassy. Christmassy episode. Christmassy, but normal. What is Thank normal? So I don't know. <laughs> Thank you so much to everyone for listening. And Shah, I'm just going to say it one more time. I'm so proud of you. And I'm so excited to hear about how it goes this week. <laughs>